Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the November 7th, 2022 episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This is the morning section of the podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, this is, this podcast was motivated by the fact, um, as my pastor has said recently to me, and I think I mentioned this in yesterday's episode, <clears throat> only 8% of Christians actually read their Bible. That is a terrifying, terrifying figure. Um, and I realize it is hard, hard, hard to find time. And, and there's a couple of different reasons, at least a couple of different that I've come across. If you can go come across more, Hey, more power to you, but one, I know that, that as, as the world gets crazier around us and especially as, as you know, well, I don't want to get into that I'll end up down a tangent, but people having to pick up second jobs, third jobs, spouses, having to pick up jobs, um, you name it to try to pay the bills that can make it tough to find extra time to sit down and read the word of God. Um, at the same time, and I know this is where I fall into, um, in a lot of cases, we've become less and less, um, diligent. There we go. Less and less diligent in properly allocating the time we have, um, to where we will sit there and we would rather binge watch stuff on streaming services than we would actually read the word of God. Um, and, and again, I fall into that, um, or, or something else, or you get sucked into, you start putting all your time into hobbies and stuff. And I'm not, believe me, I'm not saying don't stream. I'm not saying don't have hobbies. What I'm saying is we have to give the appropriate amount of time to the word of God. I would guarantee most of us stream more than a couple of hours a day or spend at least, or that much time in a hobbies or a combination thereof. But how much time do we actually spend a day in the word of God? This has eternal consequences. How can we make any excuses for not being in the word of God? Um, we are called by God. It is a command. It is not a request. We are called by God to be in the word, to be constantly meditating on the word, to be shaped by the word, to be equipped by the word. And to do so, we've got to be in it and to be defenders of the word and protectors of the word. You can't do that if you're not in it. Um, but I, it also was kind of motivated by the fact that in, in my wife's case, she has a number of conditions that one of their symptoms, and it's a couple of conditions that cause this, they cause brain fog. So it can make it very, very hard for her to sit down and read as much as she loves to read and loves to read the word of God. It can make it very, very hard for her to sit down and read. So it was my thought that to help provide an audio version, an audio way to take in the word of God. And in this case, I've added on, we do some prayers, some Puritan prayers and some devotions from Spurgeon, um, to assist in getting into this more. Now, please, I'm not doing this to replace the time you should be spending yourself sitting down and reading the word of God. Okay. That's not what this is for. This is meant as an add on. This is meant as, as an, as an, adjust, or as a help. Okay. It's not meant to replace it. I would encourage you to increase your time in the word of God. Um, I feel like I have to, as much as I do spend, I feel like I need to spend more. Um, so what I started doing was sharing this part of my morning routine with folks. Um, and the podcast has morphed. It has added other things into it. So there are links to everything I'm going to be reading. Um, in the show notes, there are also links to hard copies of the resources I'm reading from, as well as um, a PDF of Robert Murray McShane's Read the Bible in a Year plan um, that I would hope would help you, um, even because I'm probably going to change up what Bible plan, Bible reading plan I use next year, 
So you want to have hold of that McShane one so you can use it for yourself. You can use it with your own personal time because I will continue to in my personal time, but I plan on doing something else um, on the podcast. I plan on using another plan, um, still a read the Bible in a year, but it does it slightly different way. Um, because I think we still need to do this every year. Um, and that's, I've been putting in reading and I, this isn't a pat, pat yourself on the back, but for the last six, seven years, I've been going through the Bible twice each year from cover to cover. Um, and it has been a great help. I've had people go, wow, does that really help you? Yeah, it does. Yes, it does. It helps keep myself centered in the right place. All right. So let's go ahead and dive into our reading. And again, our morning session this morning is going to be, um, bookended by prayers. We're going to do also do a Spurgeon's devotion for the day, the morning devotion for today. And then we're going to do our reading. So with this being the second day of the week, we're going to start with the second day morning prayer. It's called God over all. O God, all sufficient. Thou hast made and upholdest all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away, like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever. God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring and thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right, and Spurgeon's devotion for the morning of November 7th. The text for it is Isaiah 49, 16. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. No doubt a part of the wonder which is concentrated in the word behold is excited by the unbelieving lamentation of the preceding sentence. Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my God hath forgotten me. How amazed the divine mind seems to be at this wicked unbelief. What can be more astounding than the unfounded doubts and fears of God's favored people? The Lord's loving word of rebuke should make us blush. He cries, How can I have forgotten thee when I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands? How darest thou doubt my constant remembrance when the memorial is set upon my very flesh? O oh, unbelief, how strange a marvel thou art! We know not which most to wonder at, the faithfulness of God or the unbelief of his people. He keeps his promise a thousand times and yet the next trial makes us doubt him. He never faileth, he is never a dry well. He is never as a setting sun, a passing meteor, or a melting vapor, and yet we are as continually vexed with anxieties, molested with suspicions, and disturbed with fears, as if our God were the mirage of the desert. Behold is a word intended to excite admiration. Here, indeed, we have a theme for marveling. Heaven and earth may well be astonished that rebels should obtain so great a nearness to the heart of infinite love as to be written upon the palms of his hand. I have graven thee, it does not say. I'm sorry, I have graven thee. It does not say thy name. The name is there, but that is not all. I have graven thee. See the fullness of this. I have graven thy person, thine image. Sorry, thine image, thy case, thy circumstances, thy sins, thy temptations, thy weaknesses, thy wants, thy works. I have graven thee, everything about thee, all that concerns thee. I have put thee altogether there. Wilt thou, wilt thou ever say again that thy God hath forsaken thee 
when he has graven thee upon his own palms. All right. And our reading for today is going to be 2 Kings 20, Hebrews 2, Hosea 13, Psalm 137, and Psalm 138. In those days, Hezekiah became ill to the point of death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says Yahweh, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed to Yahweh, saying, Remember now, O Yahweh, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept greatly. Now it happened that Isaiah had not gone out of the middle court, and the word of Yahweh came to him, saying, Return and say to Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, Thus says Yahweh, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your ought. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of Yahweh, and I will add fifteen years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then Isaiah said, Take a cake of figs, and they took and laid it on the boil, and he was restored to life. Now Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What will be the sign that Yahweh will heal me, <coughs> and that I shall go up to the house of Yahweh the third day? And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from Yahweh, that Yahweh will do the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps, or turn back ten steps? So Hezekiah answered, It is easy for the shadow to stretch forward ten steps. <coughs> No, but let the shadow turn backward ten steps. Isaiah the prophet cried to Yahweh, and he turned the shadow on the stairway back ten steps by which it had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. Hold on a minute, I'm going to take a drink of some coffee here. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Something got really itchy in my throat. All right. Continuing on, 2 Kings 20, continuing on in verse 12. At that time, Barodak-Baladan, a son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he heard that Hezekiah had been sick, and Hezekiah listened to them, and showed them all his treasure house, the silver and the gold, and the spices, and the good oil, and the house of his armor, and all that was found in his treasuries. There was nothing in his house, nor in all his dominion, that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where have they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah said, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasuries that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of Yahweh. Behold, the days are coming, when all that is in your house and all that your fathers have treasured up to this day will be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says Yahweh. And some of your sons who will issue from you, whom you will beget, will be taken away, and they will become officials in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of Yahweh which you have spoken is good. For he said, Will it not be good if there will be peace and truth in my days? Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, and all his might, and how he made the pool, and the conduit, and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh his son became king in his place. And now Hebrews 2. For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every trespass and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That salvation, first spoken by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders, and by various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. 
But one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, Jesus, because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will recount your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the seed of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to help those who are tempted. All right, Hosea 13. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He lifted himself up in Israel. But through Baal he became guilty and died. And now they sin more and more, and make for themselves molten images, idols made from their silver according to their understanding all of them the work of craftsmen. They are saying of them, Let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they will be like the morning cloud, and like dew which soon disappears, like chaff which is blown away from the threshing floor, and like smoke from a chimney. Yet I have been Yahweh your God since the land of Egypt, and you were not to know any God except me, and there is no Savior besides me. I myself knew you in the, in the wilderness." in the land of drought, as they had their pasture, then they became satisfied. Indeed, they were satisfied, and their heart became raised up. Therefore they forgot me. So I will be like a lion to them. Like a leopard I will lie in wait by the wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs, and I will tear open the chest enclosing their heart. There I will also devour them like a lioness, as a beast of the field would rip them open. It is your ruin, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. Where now is your king, that he may save you in all your cities, and your judges of whom you said, Give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger, and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up, his sin is stored up. The pains of childbirth come upon him, he is not a wise son. For it is not the time that he should delay at the opening of the womb. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from my sight. Though he is fruitful among the reeds, an east wind will come, the wind of Yahweh coming up from the wilderness, and his fountain will become dry, and his spring will be dried up. It will plunder his treasury of every desirable article. Samaria will be held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women will be ripped open. And Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon there we sat and also wept. When we remembered Zion, upon the willows in the midst of it we hung our lyres. For there our captors asked us about the words of a song, and our tormentors asked joyfully, saying, Sing for us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing a song of Yahweh in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. 
May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Yahweh, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Tear it down, tear it down to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have recompensed us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your infants against the cliff. And Psalm 138. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will worship towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth, O Yahweh, will give you thanks when they hear the words of your mouth and they will sing of the ways of Yahweh. For great is the glory of Yahweh. For Yahweh is high, yet he sees the lowly. But the one who exalts himself, he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of distress, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. Yahweh will accomplish what concerns me. O Yahweh, your loving kindness endures forever. Do not fail the works of your hands. All right, that is our reading for this morning. And we will go ahead and wrap up with a Puritan prayer here. Our closing prayer for this morning section is going to be called the second coming. O son of God and son of man, thou wast incarnate, didst suffer, rise, ascend for my sake. Thy departure was not a token of separation, but a pledge of return. Thy word, promises, sacraments, show thy death until thou come again. That day is no horror to me, for thy death has redeemed me. Thy spirit fills me. Thy love animates me. Thy word governs me. I have trusted thee, and thou hast not betrayed my trust. Waited for thee, and not waited in vain. Thou wilt come to raise my body from the dust, and reunite it to my soul by a wonderful work of infinite power and love, greater than that which bounds the ocean's waters, ebbs and flows the tides, keeps the stairs in their course, the stars in their courses, excuse me, and gives life to all creatures. This corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal immortality, this natural body, a spiritual body, this dishonored body, a glorious body, this weak body, a body of power. I triumph now in thy promises, as I shall do in their performance. For the head cannot live if the members are dead. Beyond the grave is resurrection, judgment, acquittal, dominion. Every event and circumstance of my life will be dealt with. The sins of my youth, my secret sins, the sins of abusing thee, of disobeying thy word, the sins of neglecting ministers' admonitions, the sins of violating my conscience, all will be judged. And after judgment, peace and rest, life and service, employment and enjoyment for thine elect. O God, keep me in this faith and ever looking for Christ's return. Amen. All right. That's our morning section for this morning. Um, Again, of course, you're totally in control. If you want to continue to listen, uh, we'll be coming back with the evening section. But uh, part of the reason we're breaking this up like this is to give you the chance to listen to the morning section in the morning and then listen to the evening section in the evening as part of your evening devotion. But again, it's totally up to you if you want to continue listening. But that is the end of our morning section. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful day um, that this time together in God's word will lift you up, would equip you, would edify you and would hedge up your way so that you would truly be witnesses of God and bring glory and honor to him in in your walk today. Um, Remember, do all that you do today for the glory of God. God bless. Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, 
each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good evening and welcome <clears throat> excuse me, to the evening segment of the November 7th, 2022 episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, continuing to be your host for the day. Um, we are going to go ahead and continue on. We're going to have, uh, we're going to open in prayer and devotion, and then we're going to have a short message and then close in prayer this evening. So <clears throat> our opening prayer this evening is going to be in prayer. It's that that's titled in prayer. Um, here we go. Oh Lord, in prayer, I launch far out into the eternal world. And on that broad ocean, my soul triumphs over all evils on the shores of mor mortality. Time with its gay amusements and cruel disappointments never appears so inconsiderate as then. In prayer, I see myself as nothing. I find my heart going after thee with intensity, and long with vehement thirst to live to thee. Blessed be the strong gales of the Spirit that speed me on my way to the new Jerusalem. In prayer all things here below vanish, and nothing seems important but holiness of heart and the salvation of others. In prayer all my worldly cares, fears, anxieties disappear, and are of as little significance as a puff of wind. In prayer, my soul inwardly exults with lively thoughts at what thou art doing for thy church, and I long that thou shouldst get thyself a great name from sinners returning to Zion. In prayer, I am lifted above the frowns and flatteries of life, and taste heavenly joys. Entering into the eternal world, I can give myself to thee with all my heart, to be thine forever. In prayer, I can place all my concerns in thy hands, to be entirely at thy disposal, having no will or interest of my own. In prayer I can intercede for my friends, ministers, sinners, the church, thy kingdom to come, with greatest freedom, ardent hopes, as a son to his father, as a lover to the beloved. Help me to be all prayer, and never to cease praying. Amen. All right, and the November 7th evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, the text for it is Acts 1.8, And ye shall be witnesses unto me. In order to learn how to discharge your duty as a witness for Christ, look at his example. He is always witnessing, by the well of Samaria, or in the temple of Jerusalem, by the lake of Gennesaret, or on the mountain's brow. He is witnessing night and day. His mighty prayers are as vocal to God as his daily services. He witnesses under all circumstances. Scribes and Pharisees cannot shut his mouth. Even before Pilate, he witnesses a good confession. He witnesses so clearly and distinctly that there is no mistake in him. Christian, make your life a clear testimony. Be you as the brook where... I'm sorry, be you as the brook wherein you may see every stone at the bottom, not as the muddy creek of which you only see the surface, but clear and transparent, so that your heart's love to God and man may be visible to all. You need not say, I am true. Be true. Boast not of integrity, but be upright. So shall your testimony be such that men cannot help seeing it. Never, for fear of feeble man, restrain your witness. Your lips have been warmed with a coal from off the altar. Let them speak as like heaven-touched lips should do. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. Watch not the clouds, consult not the wind. In season and out of season, witness for the Savior. And if it shall come to pass that for Christ's sake and the Gospels you shall endure suffering in any shape, Shrink not, but rejoice in the honor thus conferred upon you, that you are counted worthy to suffer with your Lord, and joy also in this, that your sufferings, your losses, and persecutions shall make you a platform from which the more vigorously and with greater power you shall witness for Christ Jesus. 
study your great exemplar, and be filled with his spirit. Remember that you need much teaching, much upholding, much grace, and much humility, if your witnessing is to be to your master's glory. Amen. And what a what a perfectly placed devotion based on what my little message is going to be on. Um, I spoke yesterday, well, last evening, I should say, um, about walking in love. It was part of the Christian walk that, that we, that Paul starts discussing with the Ephesian church, um, and with us in, um, Ephesians four, it start, talks about the worthy walk and it talks about different walks, different types of walks that are part of that worthy walk. Um, and we had talked previously about the Gentile walk that we're not, our walk is not to be that like the Gentile. Um, and then we talked last evening about, um, the walk of love, walking in love. That's from Ephesians five verses one and two. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue on in verses three and four. And what we see here, this is basically from when I preached before it's walk in love part two of it. But in this case, what it talks about while verses one and two talked about what that, what that walking in love should look like, which is a sacrificial love. It's Christ sacrificing, Christ making that sacrifice. And that is what our walk in love should look like. And again, verse two says, and walk in love. We should be, it starts in verse one. We should be imitators of God as beloved children. And that we should walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, up for us and offering in a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So our walk in love should look like that. But verse three and four come back and they start discussing what it should not look like. So verses three and four are what that walking in love should not look like. That's a contradict or a comparison. Verses one and two are the sacrificial. Verses three and four are the selfish. Okay, they're the self-focused. So I'm going to go ahead and read to you Ephesians five verses three and four. But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is, pro as is proper among saints, nor filthiness and foolish talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Again, um, so a couple things we need to pick out of here. One, do not skip the word, but it's very easy to see that, that, um, conjunction. And just charge on through, just like, just like I mentioned last evening, therefore, you don't want to just blow by therefore notice the, but there that's showing the contrast first two are what it should look like, but second two verses, verses three and four are what it should not look like. This walk in love should not work, look like. Okay. So don't just blow by that, that connecting word. So the first thing it talks about here, sexual immorality. Okay. And what we need to look at this. So it says, but sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. Okay. So if you want to break this down, sexual immorality should not even be named among you. Impurity should not even be named among you. Greed should not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So among the saints, none of these should even be named among you, much less should you, you act in those ways. So let's talk about these. Sexual, sexual immorality, and it's actually referred to in a couple different ways in different translations, but, but the Greek word underneath there is pornea. Okay. Obviously that's where we get our word pornography, but what the real meaning is there is any sexual intimate interaction outside of a monogamous heterosexual marriage, anything that does not fit within the monogamous heterosexual marriage is sexual immorality, anything that means adultery, that sex outside of monogamous heterosexual marriage of any kind, which includes homosexuality, which includes all this trans stuff, which includes with, and, and no joke, no kidding the the descriptions I saw in the, um, the commentaries talks about with animals, with, with anything else. Um, with family, with close family members, um, it applies to all of that. And, and that, and that kind of stuff was going on. We, we, we have to remember that Paul wrote this letter and he's not writing in a vacuum. He's not going, 
oh, these would be some good things to put in there. These were things that were a problem within the Ephesian church. And, and they talk about that this a letter to the Ephesians was actually a letter. It was a circular letter, meaning, yes, it might initially go to the church in Ephesus, but then it was to be circulated all throughout Asia Minor, throughout all those churches in that area. So this is obviously a problem that is going on. And it was a problem in that world. I mean, you see it um, in, um, I think it's First Corinthians, where they're dealing with a guy who has who has lain with his own mother or his own um, stepmother. And Paul calls him out on it because nobody nobody is holding this guy accountable. Um, but that that's what this is. This sexual immorality should not even be spoken of, not even be named among you, much less participated in or supported, okay? Nor impurity or greed. And we're going to come back to impurity or greed. But I, I need to, um, back when I preached on this, and this was back in 2019, but I think it still applies today, but I'm going to use this imagery. So at that time, there was the big push for the last season of Game of Thrones to come out. Okay. And I'm going to preface this by indicating. I read the five books. I mean, I had read them before they were even doing a, a HBO series on it. I had read them even before that was a thing. So I loved the books. I really enjoyed the books. Um, it, it was a nice new series, something I hadn't read before. Um, and they actually got me through a tough time. I was actually having to go back and forth and help care for my father in his last year of life. So it was something to read and get my mind off that. So I had enjoyed them. And when I heard that Game of Thrones was coming out, I was kind of excited. Oh boy, hey, somebody's going to do. And, you know, this is after Lord of the Rings, which I loved um, what Peter Jackson did. So I was excited. Um my wife and I tried to watch the first couple of episodes because I had gotten her into Lord of the Rings and she loved it. And we could not continue. We could not continue. It was that bad. And it continued that way. Um, and I bring that up to bring up this, that as this last season was coming out and there was the big push, there were professing Christians out there that were having these big conversations about how they were going to have these big watch parties. And in some cases they were going to have chunks of their congregation over and all get together and everything else. And here is, here is a series that has proven itself repeatedly to have explicit sex happen on screen. We as Christians don't need to be taking that in. We don't need to be talking about it and we don't need to be taking it in ourselves. We don't need to be exposing ourselves to that. that. That's what Paul's talking about here. We're not to be participating in it. We're not to be supporting it. We're not to even be naming it among ourselves. And these were Christians that were saying this. And, and, and a number of people, and I remember Justin Peters explicitly, um, called them out on it. Um, and justifiably so. He was absolutely correct that that was just so unacceptable. And as much as I enjoyed, I, I will never, I, I will never know how the story ended because he's never finished the books. Um, because I wouldn't watch it. Um, it's just not, it's not something we as Christians. And I mean, that's the thing we said as is proper among saints, it's not proper for us to get sucked into that. Now, yes, Game of Thrones is done, but how many other things out there like that are along those same lines and we get caught up in them? How many, um, you know, um, real housewives of, or, or, um, Oh, what was the one? I can't even remember the name of it, that it was basically children prostituting themselves. I mean, dressing really, really scantily and all that kind of stuff. And people wanting people that claim to be Christians being sucked into it. And I mean, think about it. Think about what Spurgeon was talking about, was talking about our witness in this evening devotion. So what I said, you know, how fortuitous that this was the devotion. And I didn't realize that it was when I put together this message. But then our message, how murky is our witness 
if we look like the world because we're getting sucked into this, but it goes on into this impurity or greed, not even being talked about the impurity there. The Greek there speaks of a rottenness and a vileness of lustful, luxurious and profligate living. It's rotten, rotten, falling apart, gross, vile. And greed is the same thing. Wanting what others have, have wanting what they have. And in some cases in, in, and, and, and it does hint towards a sexual sense, but at the same time, I'm going to bring something up that actually was even brought up in, in, in the Bible study. It was brought up in another context, <clears throat> but all these people, you know, this 1.2 billion, um, Powerball actually, that's now to 1.9 billion and everybody wanting to have it. And again, you make your own choices on it. This is going to be my opinion, but I think it fits. Okay. You can disagree with me if you want to, but the only reason for me to want that much money is so I can have what everybody else has. That's it that I can have what others have. Why can't I be happy with what God has given me as is proper among saints? The end of verse three. What is proper among saints is that I am grateful for what God has given me. I am thankful for what God has given me. And, 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 and I show that I am satisfied with, and I show it to the world. I witness it to the world that I am satisfied with what God has given me. I'm not sitting there having Powerball number reading parties, which I know happens all over the place. And I don't know if Christians were doing that, but I know of Christians that had to run out and get their tickets. And again, that's their choice. I'm not trying to judge them. That's, that's not, but is that really proper among the saints? I think that has to be evaluated that, that, that greed there, but then it goes on nor filthiness, verse four, nor filthiness and foolish talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting. Again, that goes on. These things are not proper among the saints. We should not have filthy talk spewing from our mouths. No filthy talk. Um, and, and actually this filthy talk, foolishness, coarse jesting, Charles Hodge spoke of it, um, that anything that is morally hateful should not be coming out of our mouths, nor should we participating in it. Coarse jesting. And I know that's a tough one, especially if you're in a workplace where you have secular people that you work with, where that can be the common jokes. Honestly, it was very tough. And I, uh, I was a participator in it. I wasn't saved at the time, but when I was in the Navy, coarse jesting is, is the, the verbiage for the day, you know? Um, and it was very hard coming out of that when I became saved to put that kind of stuff aside, but that, that, that should not be coming from our mouths. When it talks of foolish talk here, it's, it's talking of talk that is unconstructive, that is unuseful, that is not, not profitable. And the filthiness, I, I mean, does it, do I really have to explain that? When you are spewing vileness from your mouth, when you are spewing curse words, in some cases, it doesn't even have to be curse words, but you know what I'm talking about. When you are spewing vileness and filthiness and foolish talk and coarse jesting, coarse jesting, making coarse jokes, coarse, disgusting jokes, those are not fitting for a saint. Our walk of love, our worthy walk should have no resemblance to that. That is what, that is what unbelievers walk like. That is what Gentiles walk, walk like. That's what the world walks like. That's not what you and I better be walking like. And too many of us do. That's exactly what we walk, we walk like. We look just like them. We look just like them. And as, as Spurgeon was talking about, what kind of witness do we give? We're that murky water. We're not clean, clear where they can see all the way to the rocks on the bottom, where they know we have integrity. We don't have to defend it. Where they know we love God. We don't have to tell them that. They know it. Um, or he, he spoke of, I am true. He said, you, you need not say I am true. Be true. Boast not of integrity, but be upright. 
Exactly. We should look like proper saints. We should look like the separate separate ones. Um, Ephesians. Again, Ephesians speaks of it. Um, the, the word is ecclesia for the church. It means the church, but it means in Greek, the set apart ones. Our behavior, our walk has got to be set apart. And I know I keep hammering that home. It's because so many Christians out there, people that profess to be Christians, their walk looks like the world. I'm sorry, Beth Moore. She looks more and more like the world every day in the way she behaves. And so many others do. Kenneth Copeland, who cl- claims to be Christian, he looks just like the world. He looks like a used car salesman out there. How many supposed Christian leaders that have fallen by the wayside because they've been sucked in and behaved, and, and I'm not saying it wasn't their fault. It absolutely was. But manifested the sexual immorality, the impurity, the greed, the filthiness, the foolish talk, the coarse jesting to where they've been they've been sent out of the pulpit. And they should have been. The fact is, they should have never been in it in the first place. Because what it was was a facade. That's not to be our walk. Christ gave his life. I mean, we saw that verse too, where it brought it up. We are to walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us. If he loved us like that, and I and I know this is going to sound just like last night, but if he gave us gave himself up for us. How can we walk in this sexual immorality? How can we even speak of it, of this impurity, this greed, this filthiness, foolish talk, coarse jesting? How can we look like the world? How can we think that's okay? How do we, how do we look at ourselves in the mirror and tolerate that? I mean, honestly, when, when I've caught myself that way, it honestly makes me physically ill. It, it, when I look in the mirror, it makes me want to vomit when that's what I'm manifesting. It really does. And, and it's, and I'm not saying that to go, to get you to go, Oh, how holy. No, <laughs> as my buddy calls, I'm, I'm fetid pond scum. I, were it not, were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit in me, believe me, I would like make, Stalin looked like a piker. I'd make him look like a choir boy. Um, but the work of the Holy Spirit in me and my love of God and my love of fellow man drives me to walk in love, to put away the sexual immorality, the impurity, the greed, to not even talk about them as is proper among this state saints, not, not being involved in or speaking of any filthiness or foolish talk or coarse jesting, none of them, which are fitting, but rather giving of thanks, using our voices, using our words, using our actions to give thanks to God, to be pure, pure witnesses for Christ, to bring glory to God. We owe him. I'm sorry. It is the chief end of man. Um, Westminster confession of faith. Um, or I'm I'm sorry, um, Westminster Shorter Catechism, very first question, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is our chief end, to glorify God. Absolutely. I mean, I know that's Presbyterian, but you know what? It is. It, it fits. That is exactly what it is. The Bible is clear. It is our job, our primary focus, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. <clears throat> and we are not glorifying God when we walk in sexual immorality, in impurity, in greed, when we speak it, when we do it, when we when we show a witness of that instead of the pure witness of Christ, the shining white witness of Christ. No, we have no righteousness in us, but we ought to be manifesting the righteousness of Christ through ourselves every day and in everything we do. And that's what the walk in love is that we truly show love to our fellow man. If we claim we're Christians and we keep looking like them, that shows we don't love our neighbors. That shows we don't love our fellow man. And that shows we don't love God. And if we're doing that, we better question whether we're truly Christian or not. Because I guarantee you, if we've got that kind of fruit coming out of us, there's a very, very big question there. And there's a very good chance that we only profess to be Christians, that we truly are not. 
So as we mature in Christ, while we will never be perfect this side of glory, our walk better be starting to reflect more and more what Ephesians 5, 1, 2, 3, and 4 say, what it says we should look like and what it says we should not look like. And I would beg you to be watching your walk, to start to be removing yourself from these things that even things that you think, well, it's not that big deal. Yes, it is. Get away from any of that sexual immorality. Be, get away from any of that, even, even letting it be, letting yourself being exposed to it, to any impurity or greed or filthiness, foolish talk or coarse jesting. Get away from it. Don't manifest it. Don't be around it. Don't expose yourself to it. Don't expose your family to it. Show a pure witness for God. That's your responsibility. That's my responsibility. We must be about that. That's walking in love. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Our closing prayer for today is the second day evening prayer. It's called Bounty. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy, joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. And I want to close with the benediction that we were speaking of tonight in uh, our Bible study, our adult Bible study class. And it's from Numbers. That's right, Numbers 6. Yeah. And of course, I'm reading in the Legacy Standard, so that's going to sound a little bit different. But this was the blessing that Aaron, that God had mo told Moses to tell Aaron to bless and to use it's a benediction to bless the sons of Israel with. So it's number six verses 24 through 26. And this is what we'll close with Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his face on you and give you peace. I hope you have a wonderful evening. God bless. Thank you.